0: have a very clear understanding of how a message is going to play out and how it's going to work. Sometimes you don't. We're just going to trust that God's going to help us today. I do believe the Lord has uh, spoken to me. Take it very seriously, the responsibility to preach the word of the Lord. And uh, we never take that lightly. We never want to do what we want to do. We always want to do what the Lord wants. We strive to do so. And um, today, if you're uh, a a regular member of the church, uh, today's sermon, specifically the content of the sermon may uh, be a little different than what I normally, how I normally would preach. But we're just going to let, we're just going to have, ask the Lord to help us. Now you're all wondering, right? So you just have to listen, pay attention today. But I do believe the Lord's going to talk to us, and I believe he's going to help us. Somebody said amen. 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 Before you're seated, I, I, I want to just let you know my title, my assignment for today, and that is this, when God raises up a kingdom, when God raises up a kingdom. God bless you. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. With the 4th of July around the corner, I don't typically, on holiday Sundays, I don't typically always preach to the holiday, but I felt prompted to do so today. With the 4th of July right around the corner, we are all no doubt making plans on how we're going to celebrate our nation's independence. And when you really stop and think about it. I know that, you know, we're going to have grill-outs and family and fireworks and friends and get-togethers and all of that's well And as we celebrate all of this. And, but when you really stop and think about it, the formation and the implementation of a completely new nation like what happened here in 1776. It is really quite a remarkable and monumental undertaking. Now, just to be completely transparent with you, I was never really, uh, let's put it this way. I didn't get great grades in history. Now, that's not, you know, an excuse for you young people to say, well, pastor didn't get good grades, so I don't either. I should have got good grades. But I was never really that interested in history in general, American history to be specific. It, it wasn't necessarily something that I was uh, bent toward, something that I was that interested in until I came across a couple verses of scripture and this, there was a shift in my thinking. One of which was Daniel chapter 2 verse 20, just, just stay with me here today, all right? We're going to meander a little bit. Just stay with me here. Daniel chapter 2 and verse 20. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. Verse 21 then says, And he changeth the times and the seasons, and he removeth kings, and he setteth up kings. What what a powerful What a powerful text and a powerful understanding that God has the ability to set up kings and put down kings. Oh, hallelujah. Psalms chapter 75 and verse 6, For promotion cometh neither from the east nor from the west nor from the south, but God is the judge. He putteth down one and he setteth up another. From these verses we see that it is God that sets up kings, and I believe the inference there is along with the setting up of a king, he sets up the kingdoms. He sets up the nations. He sets up the countries, and it's God that removes the kings and removes the kingdoms and the nations and the countries. Now, You need to think about this today. It's not something maybe we think about often, but we need to think about this, that with all the nations that have risen and fell since the beginning of time, God has ultimately been the driving force for their inception as well as for their demise. What a powerful thing to think of. With that understanding in mind, it now made American history, in my mind, I began to view it a lot differently. Because now, more than just a historical reality, a historical text, I began to view American history through the lens of God's handiwork and when you begin to view American history through the lens of God's handiwork it begins to look very intriguing to say the least so where is it where we can find God's fingerprints in the formation of the United States of America How did God work his work in order to bring about this nation that we love so much today? If he's the one who raised up this nation, how did he do it? A lot of times in preaching, we'll use that text that he has the power to raise up nations and put down nations and kingdoms and put down kingdoms. And we use it in a sense of just an illustrative way of helping to describe the might and the power of God. But he really does raise up kingdoms. So the question is how does he raise up a kingdom? We didn't start where we are today with the United States, right? Now, this isn't going to be a history lesson today, but stay with me now. I mean, no, we didn't start where we are today. It's, it's interesting to me. Maybe it will be to you. But when, when they wanted, right now we have one of, if not the greatest Navy on the planet. Do you know that when they voted to start the Navy, they voted to build two little boats? That was our Navy, two little boats. Because you got to start somewhere. Ooh, hallelujah. You got to start somewhere. Don't despise the day of small things. Sit in my notes, but let me talk to our campus pastors today. Don't despise the day of small things. When God does something, he does it methodically, and he does it line upon line and here a little and there a little. And even when we don't necessarily know why he's doing what he's doing, he's still working his work. What it is today is not going to be what it's going to be next month. What it is today is not going to be what it's going to be next year. Somebody just needs to put your faith and your confidence in the reality that when God does a thing, he knows exactly what he's doing. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost telling me and reminding me of the fact that when you and I work, we work from the now to the completion. But when God works, he works from completion to the now. (laughs) Woo! He's not waiting and seeing what it's going to work out and what it's going to look like. He already knows what it's going to look like. He's already got the culmination of the reality, the finality of the thing already established. And now he's methodically working back every step necessary to get you to that point. That's why the steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. If you just keep doing what is right, even when it's tough, even when it's difficult, even when it's hard. If you just keep doing what's right, you will make every step that God has ordained and God has established to get you to your appointed end. Come on, somebody, if you believe that, put your hands together. I said amen. You may be seated. And so it is that when you look at our history through the reality of it being God's handiwork and not man's, everything looks differently in the history books. For instance, think about the wisdom necessary that it required for the founding fathers to implement everything that needed to be implemented in order to start a nation. We're not, we're not talking about starting a, you know, a, a lemonade stand. We're talking about starting an entire nation you you have to have a lot of wisdom. Come on, right? To, to, just to put that into perspective, how much wisdom might one need to start a business? If you wanted to start a new career path, what kind of schooling, necessarily intellectual accomplishments would you have to obtain in order to move into a new dimension of business or career. But we're not talking about a business and we're not talking about a career. We're talking about a new nation. But here is where the handiwork of the Lord can be seen. For there were several prominent founding fathers that have written... Of the fact that from the very, stay with me now, that from a very early age, they felt, nobody told them, nobody said anything to them. But at a very early age, they felt that they were going to be a part of something monumental. Benjamin Franklin would write about it. Others would write about it. Adams would write about it. That from a very early age, they just felt like they were going to be a part of something monumental. Because of that, they did not take that feeling lightly. But because of that, from a very early childhood, they would read everything they could get their hands on. They would study everything they could possibly study. They would gain insight and understanding about everything that they possibly could. Many of them, by their 20s, already knew two, if not three, different languages, not just to speak them, but also to read in different languages. Nobody told them to do this. They just felt like, I'm going to be a part of something big. Ooh, come on. And I don't know what it's going to be, but I need to make sure that I am prepared for the task when it rises. I'm going to do something. I'm going to accomplish something great in my life. I don't know what it is, but I got to make sure that I have the wisdom necessary when it comes time to do it. They didn't know what the greater thing was. They didn't have a clue. This was 30, 40, 50 years for some of them before this talk of a declaration of independence and a, us leaving behind Great Britain as our rulers. They didn't understand all of what was going to happen. They didn't know what they were going to be a part of, but they just knew there's something resting on me. There's a weight, there's a burden. Resting on me to be prepared for something big. You ask the question, what was that feeling that they had? What was that weight? What was that burden? What was that calling that rested upon them? That was the calling of God. Remember, who sets up the kingdoms? It wasn't Benjamin Franklin. It wasn't Grant. It wasn't Jefferson. It wasn't these men that set up the kingdom. God set up the kingdom. And God uses men and women to set up and to accomplish. So what does he do? <laughs> Pastor Ron, at an early age of five, six, eight, ten, 10, he places a calling upon a young boy. Benjamin Franklin, Jefferson, Grant, whoever. And they feel this compulsion, this this feeling that I'm supposed to do something great. Nobody, it wasn't their parents that told them. It wasn't society that told them. It was the hand of the Lord. Because he knew I'm preparing you for what I already know is to come. Jesus, help us right now. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. So it is that they began to prepare and they began to study. In fact, several of the founding fathers, several of them would write that they felt this way. And I quote, this is such a powerful thing to me. I quote, they said they felt like actors in a historical drama that had already been written by the gods. They didn't have a real spiritual understanding of what was going on. These were not Holy Ghost filled people we're talking about. But these are still people that God is using to accomplish his purpose. And they said, I just feel like an actor in a historical drama that God has already written. So it is that God... Line upon line, precept upon precept, would bring about his plan for what he had already established. In these men, at an early age, he would place his hand upon them, speak a calling into their life, in order that they would prepare themselves for the moment. Let me just pause for a moment here to speak to that person in the room who also feels, come on, also feels a sense of divine destiny resting upon your life. Uh, You don't know what it's ultimately going to look like. You don't know when it's going to happen. You don't know exactly what is going to transpire. But you just feel a certain weight of spiritual responsibility resting upon your life. Because the same way God rested upon them to accomplish Kingdom natural purposes, he also causes uh, his hand to be upon people to accomplish spiritually the kingdom spiritual purposes. Somebody said, Amen. Come on, it hasn't all been made clear to you uh, just exactly what you're supposed to accomplish. I feel strong right now. To speak to some of our young people uh, That you feel a sense of urgency Upon you uh, You feel a burden upon you uh, You feel a calling upon you uh, You don't know what it is You don't know what what you're supposed to do uh, You don't know what the outcome is going to look like uh, But there's a sense of destiny resting upon you. Uh, There's a sense of something within you that says, yes, I'm still a teenager. And yes, I still like hanging out. uh, And yes, I still like doing what all the other teenagers are doing. uh, But I feel something deep uh, inside of me uh, that is pushing me uh, to accomplish something great for the kingdom of I want you to understand that's not man resting that upon you. That's not your pastor placing that upon you. But that is the hand of Almighty God placing it upon you and saying, I've got a purpose for your life. I've got a destiny for your life. I've got a ministry that only you can fulfill. I want you to do something big in the kingdom of heaven. Come on, I need some young people, some hyphen, I need some adults that would refuse to do nothing or just little in the kingdom. Get so caught up in this, that, and the other that the kingdom comes second or third or fourth. Where are the people among us that say, yes, I got a job, and yes, I got to work, and yes, I got to make money, but greater than all of that, I got a sense of something resting on my life. I don't want my life to be wasted. I don't want to just go through the motions. I don't want to just accomplish nothing with my living. But I want to do something big for the king. Come on, if that's the way you feel, lift your hands right now and give him praise. Come on. Woo! Come on, I feel the calling of the Lord resting on this house. I feel the hand of the Lord resting on some young people, some adults, some hyphens, some children. You don't have to have it all figured out, but you need to make sure you are preparing yourself for the moment. Don't take your calling lightly. Don't take your burden lightly. Give it all you got. Ooh, what it looks like today might not be what it looks like next month and next year, but you, there, there needs to be somebody that says, "I'm going to study to show myself approved, a workman." So then, you know, in the moment and that call, and when I have the opportunity, I'm going to do something big for the kingdom of God. Somebody said, "Amen." May be seated. So it is (coughs) that this handiwork of the Lord upon the formation of our great nation was viewed again on the day where the founding fathers all gathered together in the Continental Congress in Philadelphia and they were going to have a vote to decide if we are going to succeed from Great Britain. Are we going to actually do this and become our own nation? They all understood what the ramifications of this vote would be. They knew it would lead to a battle. They knew if they lost the battle, they would be charged with treason, and they would be put to death. They understood all of this stuff. They had already decided, as a Congress, they had already decided that since they knew that their vote would ultimately lead to war, and that since The war would no doubt be fought on all 13 colonies. Then they had already determined that the vote for independence had to be unanimous. Because it was not just going to affect six of them. It was going to affect all of them. So they had already determined, unless it is unanimous, that it will not pass. So for months, they discuss. For months, they debate. For months, they go back and forth. They deliberate. For months, until finally the day of the vote comes, are we going to be emancipated from Great Britain's rule? And when asked, is there anybody who wants to say final remarks Before we take the vote, there was a man who I didn't, I'd never even heard of him. I tried to find his name, I couldn't find it. His name escapes me. But there was this man in the Continental Congress, very prominent in that day of the Congress. Someone that everybody in the room very much looked up to, respected when he spoke. He didn't speak often, but when he did, everybody listened. And this man, who hadn't said a whole lot during all of the debates, stands up and says, I want to say something before we vote. And as he begins to speak, it was very clear that he was against our independence from Britain. He was against it. Several founding fathers would write later, and they would say this. They said, You could feel the mood in the room shift. As this man spoke against our independence and just staying under Great Britain's rule, he spoke with eloquence. He spoke with whatever, and he had a weight behind what he said, and they said that many of of the people in the room who had came to vote for independence were now thinking about it, to decide to vote against it. Now think about this now. All of them had to vote for it. It had to be unanimous. And all of these people who came to vote for it because this one man spoke against it and he had weight behind what he said, now they're thinking maybe we shouldn't vote for it. Maybe we should vote against it. And now there's confusion in the room. And now the, the, the tone of the room is shifting. And when this man's speech comes to an end, they ask one more person. Is there one more person that would like to speak? That's it. Nobody else. One more person. You can speak before we vote. Then we'll have to take the vote. And it was at this moment that a man by the name of John Adams rises to his feet. And he begins to speak on behalf of our independence. Now, this is powerful to me. No transcription of what he said was ever recorded. We don't know what he said. But Thomas Jefferson would write later and say this, and I quote, Adams was not graceful, nor was he particularly elegant, but he spoke with a power of thought and expression that moved us from our seats. But it was Adams himself that would write later on. Now he's 60, 70, 80, whatever. And he's writing down his memories of of these moments of of, of our independence. and, And he writes... This on behalf of that moment. He didn't write what he, he didn't write what he said. I don't think he even remembered what he said. But as I'm reading his autobiography and I get to this point, tears stream down my face. Because speaking of that pivotal moment, think about this now. The entire future of our great nation was on the line. Everything is on the line. They're going to vote. It's not going to be unanimous, and it's going to be done before it gets started. And with that mindset in the room, after that other delegate has just spoke, Adams would stand and he would write this later about what he said. And I quote, in that moment, I was carried out of myself and carried into the spirit as enthusiastic preachers sometimes will express themselves. You got to understand, Adams did not know what he was describing. Adams had no context for what he was experiencing when he stood up and began to speak. The best way he could describe it was that he was carried into the Spirit. But what we know, what we know that he was referring to was the anointing of the Holy Ghost Come on, Jesus. that was resting upon him for a divine purpose at a very particular critical part in the raising up of a kingdom why? because God raises up kingdom and when somebody had to say something that could get the room to rise to their feet the Lord knew you don't have it in and of yourselves to accomplish what needs to be accomplished in this room so I'm going to allow my anointing I'm going to allow my anointing to rest upon you and it won't be your words. It'll be my words and it won't be what you're saying. It'll be what I'm saying. Why? Because you didn't raise this kingdom up. I'm raising this kingdom up. As you know, he gets done, they vote unanimous New York Decided not to vote, so it was unanimous, and we became who we became as the United States. But I want you to see, we would never have gotten to where we are if it was not for the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Come on, somebody, we are who we are because of the anointing of the Holy Ghost. We have what we have because of the anointing of the Holy Ghost. I need somebody to know, uh, greater than what we can accomplish with our own intellect, uh, greater than what we can accomplish within our own power, uh, we've got to have the anointing uh, of the Holy Ghost. Woo! Hallelujah! My dear friends, we need to live our lives in such a way where the anointing of the Holy Ghost is flowing through us and flowing out into a world that so desperately needs it. There's a lot of other churches out there that clap like we clap, that sing like we sing, that play like we play. There's a lot of other churches out there that have nice buildings, way nicer than this. But there's one thing that they're lacking, and there's a reason why churches are dying all across the country. It's because they may have all the trappings, but they don't have the anointing of the Holy Ghost. We've got to have the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Unless the anointing is upon us, we are nothing. But with the anointing, we are everything. Come on, somebody. We are nothing without it. But we are everything with it. I can do all things through Christ, through the anointing, through the power of the Holy Ghost. Come on, we got to walk in anointing. We got to talk in anointing. We got to live under the anointing of the Holy Ghost. We got to preach and teach and live and act out. Everything that we are and everything we will be under the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Somebody said amen. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Somebody said we got to have it. Somebody say, we have it. We got to use it. it. The anointing of the Holy Ghost. If God, if God's anointing can alter the course of a nation, do you not also think it has the ability to alter the course of your life and of your family? and of this church. Come on, if we're trying to build a church with our own intellect and our own wisdom and our own power, we're never going to do it. But if we'll tap in and be led of the anointing of the Holy Ghost, how many know we can accomplish everything that God has called us to accomplish? It don't matter what we come up against. It don't matter what the room feels like, the shift in the spirit realm feels like. It don't matter what the enemy's saying. It don't matter what the adversary's saying. It don't matter what opposition says. It don't matter everybody that tells us we can't start 25 campuses. I'm here to tell you under the anointing of the Holy Ghost, we can, we will. We're gonna build a church for the kingdom of God. We're gonna start 25 campuses for the kingdom of God. We can't do it of ourselves. But we've got the anointing. We've got the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Woo. Somebody said, Amen. I got to hurry. Maybe may be seated. So much of this. My kids get tired of me talking about this stuff the historical stuff. They come to be known as what is the historical fact for the day, Dad. So I can keep going, but I'll, I'll, I'll finish with this last one, God's fingerprints upon the history and the reality of our nation. It happened on August 27, 1776, so we'd voted. The vote obviously sent us into a war. Britain sent over all their ships and all of their army, and we started the battle. You got to understand, we didn't have an army. We had people that just volunteered. And when it was time for harvest and for their crops, they said, okay, see ya. I got to go back home and tend to the crops. So we are a fledgling army to be sure. But it was on this day and we'd had a couple of battles and we'd lost all kinds of people. Several people went back to their farms. So we're down to just, I mean... A skeleton crew, I don't know, 8,000, 9,000 people and soldiers, and Britain at this point has 30, 40, 50,000. Remember, I don't even know if at this point we had voted to have a navy, but even when we did, it was two boats. Britain's got these huge, massive ships with 40 cannons on each side or whatever. I mean, it's just unbelievable warfare against us. So it was on this day that we find the last few remaining of our soldiers in the Continental Army. We've been retreating, retreating. The first half of the war, that's all we did was retreat. Retreating, retreating, Have a battle, lose several thousand, retreat, have a battle, lose several thousand, retreat. We're down to eight or 9,000 people. We retreat, and we're, we, are, we retreat to this island. And this island now... Britain follows us and just try to get the picture now. And I'm hurrying. But I, there's a point to all this. So British ships, they follow us, soldiers, they follow us. And so we get on the island, they get up, they, they station themselves on three sides of the island. Okay? Their guns, soldiers. Three sides. Their goal was, their plan was: this is awesome. They wanted to send their ships around the island to get on the backside so now they would have us completely surrounded, nowhere to go. (laughs) Massive cannons, aimed, all this stuff. We have no reinforcements. You have to understand that if our soldiers in this moment, this is all we have left, if they are killed or captured or surrender, it's done. It's over. Britain wins, we lose, we stay under their control. This is the last of it. But it's God that raises up kingdoms. So the Britain officer, naval officer, he he says, we want to order all these ships. We want you to go around the backside of the island. We're going to rope them off, completely surrounded. The problem was at that very moment, the wind stops. You got to remember they didn't have outboard motors It was all wind generated You can't go anywhere If there's no wind And the wind stops Who controls the wind (gasps) So they say well we can't do that But we got them on three sides But that left an area of retreat for us So it was that George Washington, he's there, he's got all of his guys there, and he says, guys, I want you to find anything on this island. There's homes and there's stuff there. I want you to find anything that floats, boats, canoes, whatever. If it floats and it can carry people, I want you to find it, commandeer it, we're going to use it. Well, there wasn't a lot to choose from, but they got what they could get, and they got all their guys Remember, there's like 8,000 of them at this point. It's not near enough, but there's still 8,000 of them. And they got to get them over on these rowboats. They got to cross this river over to the other side, drop them off, come back, pick up, you know, five, six more guys. These boats were small. Think about how much time that took. So, So here they are. And what their hope was is that... Under the cover of darkness, because the sun went down under the cover of darkness. Now remember, three sides, cannons, soon as the sun comes up, they're going to start blasting. They're going to send their soldiers, and within just a few minutes, we're done. So Washington's like, hey, we got to get everybody off while it's dark, because if the sun comes up, they see us, we're done. So they start frantically rowing, 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 rowing. Get them over, dropping them off, getting them over, dropping them off. The problem was there was too many guys and two little boats. So to their dismay, with still several thousand men on the island, they see the sun about to rise. Fear, fear grips them. What are we going to do? At that moment, read it for yourself. At that moment, a fog rose in. But the amazing thing about the fog was it just went as far as where the British people were and stopped. So where all of our people were, it was clear. So the British Navy officers, all the boats, all the soldiers, they said the the fog was so thick you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. They could not see a thing. They couldn't see us. Even though now the sun is up, they couldn't see us rowing all of our guys. And it is recorded in history that when the last boat... (laughs) When the last boat gets to the other side and the last man puts his foot on that shore on the other side, the fog begins to lift. By the time the fog lifts, we're gone. They open, you know, fog leaves. They're ready to bomb us, destroy us. They look. Nobody there. Who controls the fog? He controls the wind. He controls the fog. You want to know how God raises up a kingdom? That's how he raises up a kingdom. If you were ever curious about how God raises up a kingdom, that's how he does it. now there's so and I gotta hurry but there's so much from that particular story that that we could preach about but I just feel to tell somebody that the book says this in 2nd Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 17 you shall not need to fight in this battle set yourselves stand ye still and see the salvation of the Lord somebody needs to be reminded of the fact that just as God fought for the nation he's going to fight for you uh, if you'll let him fight uh, on your uh, behalf. Come on. You've tried fighting it with your own abilities uh, and it's gotten you nowhere. Uh, You've tried fighting it with your own intellect uh, and it's gotten you nowhere. Uh, Your addiction, your pain, your darkness, your depression. You've tried fighting it with your own strength uh, and it's gotten you nowhere. I'm here to tell you uh, you need to let the Lord fight your battles. I said, you need to let the Lord fight your battles because how many know he can fight them way better than what we can? Can I get a witness in the house? Can I get a witness in the house? God can fight our battles way better than what we can. Is there anybody that knows there's no problem too big for God, is there anybody that knows there's no addiction too big for God? There's no brokenness, too big for God. There's no mistake, too big for God. If you'll just let the Lord fight your battle for you. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost. If you'll just let it go and let God do it. If you'll stop trying to fix it on yourself. If you'll stop trying to work it out yourself. If you'll stop trying to do it all by yourself. And if you'll let the Lord fight your battle. He can do it far greater than what you can. Come on, somebody stand to your feet right now. woo come on somebody praise him if you know I'm preaching truth somebody praise him if you know I'm preaching truth right now oh hallelujah hallelujah. somebody say amen Amen. (laughs) last point one minute and I'll be done two minutes maybe But the greatest thing of everything that happened in the Declaration of Independence, us becoming our own nation, all of the freedoms that it affords us, the greatest freedom, the greatest freedom that the Declaration of Independence afforded us is the freedom of religion. I'm thankful for all of our other freedoms. I don't want to give them up. But I'm so very thankful for the freedom of religion. You want to know why? (laughs) Because the freedom of religion allows me the opportunity to stand here right now and say, except a man be born again of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. I'm here to tell somebody if you want your sins to be dealt with, uh, you need to repent of your sins. Uh, We need to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, for the remission of those sins. Uh, And we need to be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking with other tongues the sin in my life is what causes all of the pain but I'm glad Christ at Calvary took upon himself my sin and upon himself your sin and shed his blood to cover it all so that we could be forgiven of all of our sin I'm thankful we have the reality and the right to tell somebody what their real answer is today Say so you don't even know what the question is. Doesn't matter. I know what the answer is. The answer to your problem is Jesus. The answer to your help, your hurt is Jesus. The answer to your struggle is Jesus. I keep coming back to it. But the answer to your addiction is Jesus. The answer to your depression is Jesus. Your, the answer to your sleepless nights is Jesus. I'm here to tell you I can't fix one of your problems, but Jesus can. And I've got the liberty to speak that truth today. Uh, Jesus can fix every problem uh, that is in this house. Come on, lift your hands and give him praise. Somebody give God praise right now. I wonder right now all across this auditorium, You'd be so kind to help me now. Would you lift your hands? And I want us to pray. In a moment, I'm going to open these altars, but I want us to pray right now. So many different points in this message. Maybe somebody feels a call of God upon your life. Maybe somebody needs to understand that God works from the end and back to the beginning and no matter what it looks like now is not gonna be what it looks like tomorrow and you need to put your faith in that. Maybe somebody needs to understand that God's hand is upon your life and that God really can fight your battles for you. Maybe you've never repented of your sins. You've never been baptized in Jesus' name for the washing away of those sins. You've never been filled with the precious gift of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking with other tongues. Whatever part of the message today spoke to you, I wonder if you would just lift your hands. And I wonder if you would just respond to it right there in your seat. I'm gonna, I'm gonna open the altar in just a minute, but right there, church, I need you to help. help. me, Help me now create an atmosphere in this room for somebody to respond to the moving of the Holy Ghost. We preached about the anointing, and the anointing of the Lord is in this room. The anointing of the Holy Ghost is moving in this house right now. The anointing of the Lord is what you feel, ma'am, The reason you feel like crying but you don't know why you feel like crying. That's the anointing of the Holy Ghost. It's not tears of sadness. You're feeling the presence of the Lord. And obviously you're going to be moved emotionally when you feel the God of all heaven.